You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat Podcast, where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to another edition of Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, Today's one of those shows that I always enjoy recording as we get to welcome someone who's familiar to many for their work on screen, and they also have a tremendous body of work on stage. Uh, Her career in show business now spans more than four decades. Uh, Her Broadway credits include The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, as well as Getting and Spending. And on screen, you've probably seen her in anything from Happy Days to Matlock to my favorite show of all time, The Office. Uh, Most recently, she just finished shooting a new feature film called Paul's Promise, and we're so grateful she could join us today. So with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to Home Plate, just beyond the marquee, now batting Linda Pearl. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I, it was fun, fun to be here. I love your intersection of life in your, uh, in your show. It's very cool. Well, thank you very much. That means a lot coming from someone with, uh, who, you know, who has certainly accomplished quite a bit on stage. Or I have to know, are you a bit of a baseball fan too, Linda? You know, not myself, but it's in my DNA. My dad was a diehard Yankees fan and, um, he he had I'm going to show my ignorance here, but in 19 whatever it was, he went to the famous field in Chicago. What's the one? Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Thank you so much. Okay, and he stood in line with his college mate, uh, you know, overnight, and because uh, the next day the Cubs were playing against the Yankees, must have been right, and so he was standing in the he was seated in the bleachers, sorry, this is kind of a long-winded story, in the bleachers that extended over the street, right? So they were so the players must have been teeny weeny. And the game was going along, and uh, as I say, he was there with his college buddy, and he saw Babe Ruth come out of the dugout and point to the outfield. And the Cubs were furious, you know, to say, I'm going to hit the, the effing ball, you know, over there. And the Cubs came charging out of the dugout, you know, Whoa, how dare you? And then, of course, Babe Ruth hit it exactly where he said it would home run, everything. And the field erupted. And, the, and my dad and his friend, along with everybody, you know, stood up, standing ovation. And my dad's friend's coat fell in the ruckus, fell between the bleachers down to the street below. And they see a homeless man pick the coat up, dust it off, put it on and walk away. Of course, there was nothing they could do. There's no way they could get down there. But and then the uh, it was so sweet because the the Cubs players had uh, again come out of their dugout uh, just in admiration and, and cheers for what Babe Ruth had accomplished. So that's my tiny little blink uh, link to, uh, to baseball history was that my dad was there. And years later in his nineties, we took him there and he, you know, told us the, we went to a game there and he, you know, Oh God, honey, this is where it all happened. And so it was a fun full circle moment that we had with dad. 
That is absolutely amazing. We're about to celebrate the 90th anniversary of that home run. That was the 1932 World Series when Babe Ruth wow. the shot. Wow. Think of that. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll think of my dad on the day. That's uh that's fun. Yeah, that's about my my son was a professional soccer player, so I'm a soccer mom is one of my most cherished, you know, uh, things in life that I that I got to do. So a lot of time on pitches. Not that I understand the game. I still don't understand the game. Unbelievably. Offsides, mm, who knows? But um, such a beautiful sport and many, many happy, happy hours uh, with soccer, thanks to my son. I love that. And uh, to my understanding, these days you're hanging out in the Rocky Mountains. How's everything out there? You know, today it's cold. Yes, I'm here uh, unexpectedly. I have a home here, but you know, I've been living in New York and who uh, was one of um, the privileged few to have been doing a play when the pandemic hit. So <coughs> I was on a, we were at 59 is 59th. My understanding is that our billboard and our set is still up. How heartbreaking is that? Walking to the park on a beautiful March day and I get a text saying, come to the theater. We're shuttering the building in two hours. So, um, you know, I so I hung around in a stupor in New York, like all of us, for the next few days as the city just evaporated. Life in the city evaporated, and uh, so I, I repaired to to Colorado, and you know, haven't been back to New York since, except on multiple Zoom calls with friends who are are there, and and. Uh, yeah, so it's not the world we expected to be living in, but but here we are. And, um, you know, please God, New York and all that's wonderful about it will return uh, better than ever before too long. I sure hope so. And I know that you were doing that play and, you know, you've done a number of great concerts over the years, you know, over at 54 Below and everything. You're really such a part mm -hmm. of the fabric of Broadway. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's been nice. I see you've been able to keep quite busy throughout this whole pandemic, you know, whether it be Paul's Promise. I know you put out a solo album last year. How helpful has that been for you to stay so active, you know, despite oh, everything we're going through? Hugely. I feel so, so lucky. Yeah. We did a little, what, what do you call it? A a web series, I guess we did 11 or 12. I, everybody just did one episode. There were a bunch of folks from happy days and a whole bunch of different, you know, largely television writers and actors who um, we did this thing called viral vignettes and they were, it was all recorded on zoom. And uh, so we were able to, to do that. That was the first thing I did in April. So about a month after everything shut down and that was like, <gasps> Oh, okay, you know, we're going to be okay. There'll be a way forward. And uh, oh, then I, over the last, I don't know, however many years, six years, eight years, I guess, I've been doing on and off um, Joan Didion's one woman play of the Year of Magical Thinking, which I, you know, it's an extraordinary work and um, uh, a privilege always, always, always to do. So, Again, early days of the pandemic, um, I was able to film that in my in my living room. I duct taped my iPhone to a ladder in my living room, and it was just me and the dogs and did the play. And anyway, we had put it up as a benefit for the Actors Fund. And um, uh, 
again, that just felt like, oh, there you can do something. And then did a film down in New Mexico called Paul's Promise, a lovely independent film. And um, it was interesting, though, because that was last fall. So I want to say November, maybe October, we started. And the COVID protocol on sets was highly experimental at that stage. I mean, there were regulations in place, but they hadn't been practiced. And, you know, it's one thing I'm sure to sit around a table and sort of imagine what good protocol would be. But then we were among the first to be actually putting it into use. And so things like how do you deal with craft service or how do you deal with the line in London or all kinds of things had not really been sorted. So we, um, we got shut down. We had some COVID cases. We got shut down. We were sent to our rooms for 10 days, another round of tests, a whole bunch of people were infected. So we had to go home, but the producers were remarkable and the unions were just so much help and so supportive. Uh, so we were able to reboot in LA and, and finish, finish the film. Um, with, you know, with clear instructions on how to keep everybody safe. That was the thing you wanted to keep everyone safe. And uh, I did a, a, I'll be, if please God, it'll get picked up. Gene Smart has a fantastic new show. Uh, working title is Hacks. And um, so I get to play her sister. And, um, you know, if that gets to do another season, then I'll be recurring on that. And, uh, and then I did a movie for a lifetime. Uh, we just got back from Vancouver a couple of days ago. And that was interesting because you're required to have two weeks of quarantine going into Canada, even though I've had my vaccinations and all of that. But still, the protocol was very strict. And uh, it was kind of a trip to go to your hotel room and hear the door you know, close behind you and there you are for two weeks and food was delivered, uh, but only food um, uh, and the occasional bottle of wine, which was greatly appreciated. Um, I did have a balcony. And so um, I, I became friendly, hypothetic. I became friendly with the, with the, with a seagull I named Elmer and I put little bits of food on the, on the balcony and Elmer and I became friends and every morning six or six 30, whether I wanted to wake up or not, Elmer was out there squawking, where's breakfast? Come on. And eventually, you know, he'd sit there and listen to music and we'd talk. He would squawk, squawk a couple of times. I would squawk three times. He would squawk three times. It's like Elmer, Elmer had a lot going on. And then around tea time, he'd come back again. Come on time for a second snack. So this was my amusement in uh, in quarantine. I mean, you know, all of our lives, I think, I there are these little bizarre little episodes because of COVID that we've all experienced uh, a ramping up in some areas of life and a paring down in many areas and a kind of a reboot on your priorities and and essentials and uh, and thank heavens. For Zoom, I, I'm in a couple of Zoom chats with friends, different populations here and there. And, oh, it's been so helpful just to keep uh, 
you know, proactively those, those ties that bind in all of our lives. So, um, yeah, <sighs> be glad when it's over. <laughs> you and me both. And, uh, now let me ask you, what's like, uh, what do you have any new passions or any new, uh, any new things that you've mastered throughout the pandemic or things you've gotten to do that, you know, you had put off for a while, maybe, you know, something that, uh, you know, whether it be a passion project professionally or whether it's, you know, new hobbies, anything on that front? I've mastered absolutely nothing. I've, I've, uh, I've improved my Spanish. So that's, that's been fun. Um, I've been painting a lot and, perfectly dreadful paintings but it's been cathartic to do and uh so some fair amount of landscapes after new mexico which is just a breathtaking area i think the biggest thing is that i uh a year and a half or so ago i bumped into a long-term acquaintance patrick duffy it was like hey old buddy nice to see you and that led to a very rare email or, you know, happy Christmas kind of thing. And then somehow at the beginning of, of the pandemic, we, uh, we talked and then it's not like either of us had anything on our schedules for the next year. So we ended up zooming and then we zoomed every night. We zoomed every night for two to three hours. And, uh, after two and a half months of that, Bless his heart. Somewhere in the middle of there, it was, wait a minute, this isn't just chummy anymore. This is this is something else. So he got in his car from Oregon and he drove to Colorado from Oregon. And we were both, you know, terrified because what what if it's a terrible idea? We thought this could be a disaster. Uh, but we thought, well, let's, you know, let's give it a go. And we've established this lovely friendship now. So if nothing comes of it, we, you know, we're grownups enough to remain friends. Well, that's it. We've been together ever since. So we're, we're 10 months, <laughs> 10 months old now. I mean, how silly is that? What a so, success story though. Two folks from the golden ages of television. I love that. That's <laughs> fun. And we now, we, uh, it, it's probably premature to say so, but we're going to go off to England um, in the fall and do a tour of uh, of Twelve Angry Men. <laughs> it's like, so we're going to be on the boards together, which will be so much fun. Congratulations! Ten Angry Men and two really pissed off women because our producer, the wonderful Bill Kenwright, had this you know vision to update it. Uh, to a degree, I mean, none of the dialogue or anything like that's changing, but two of the of the characters will now be be women. So I will be one of the really pissed off women, and Patrick will be one of the ten angry men. That is fantastic. I, I hope that, that I hope there's they they broadcast that somewhere because I I personally would really love to see that, especially you know I mentioned before what a you know rich career that you've had, and you yeah. know I've always been curious about this for someone like you. You're such an accomplished stage actress, but you've gotten to work on some of the most iconic television shows of all time. What do you enjoy doing more, stage or screen? Oh, stage for sure. I mean, I love them both, and it's it's hard to compare um, because they're so. Uh, related, of course, but very different. But the, it's the the theater is the actor's medium. It's where I started. It's what I keep returning to. Um, it's what 
television has afforded me to do because, because, <laughs> you know, the regionals pay what they pay. But, um, oh, it's been my, I never finished college and, but work in the theater has been my education, lifetime education. And, uh, yeah, I feel so fortunate to have worked with the people that I have and to have been directed by the directors. And, you know, it's, a, it's an extraordinary, um, journey and a learning curve that never, never, never ends. I remember a long time ago, Robert Lewis, one of the founders of the group theater, and he taught at Yale Drama School for years, and he had come out to Los Angeles to teach um, the last many years of his life. And I uh, went to have, the way that he you got into his class was you had an interview. So I was excited to have my interview, and I'm waiting for my turn. And the the pupil before me, the interviewee before me comes out of the room and it's Anne Bancroft. And I go in and to meet Mr. Lewis and, and Bobby was just, he was gobsmacked. He was so happy to have had this conversation with her. Of course, I was thrilled to have met her ever so briefly on her way out. But the thing he said to her was, why are you coming to class? And Bobby said that she looked at him like he was, you know, insane to have asked the question. And and she said, well, but I have so much to learn. I feel like I'm just starting. And she was, oh, gosh, probably in her 60s at the time, you know. And, and then she was a classmate of mine, which was really fun. So, um, but anyway, that's the point. It's the, it's, uh, you never, never stop learning it never fails to humble you because there's so many failures along the way, but it's a, it's a joyful journey. And, and, you know, it, it relates to sports in the sense that the, the team spiritness of it, I mean, it really is a coming together and on a level playing field, you are, uh, you know, had the chance to work with people. We have different backgrounds and different age groups and, you are absolutely toe-to-toe peers, and it's a it's a real lesson in in democracy, and uh, and in its culture relates handily to to sports. I couldn't agree with you more, and that's why I thought it was particularly interesting that you mentioned that you were doing a one-woman show before. Um, that, mm-hmm. I mean, that must be what what ex, what's that experience like for you? You know, having done this as long as you have, is that is something like that? You know. That's especially shooting it during a pandemic, like you said. Are you comfortable doing shows like that, or do you prefer you know, the team dynamic? It was just absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I remember the first day I sat down to uh, tuck into the script. I I had my highlighter as one does, and I started to highlight. I thought, "You fool! It's just you. <laughs> Everything on the page is is you." But um, I never felt alone up there when I, when I got to do it because of Joan, you know, Joan, well, she's an extraordinary writer and um, this felt like something else. You know, she, she peered so fearlessly and articulated so brilliantly every moment of her descent into the hell of grief and to her journey back out into life that 
you, I mean, her, her wisdom and her poetry, um, was a was a great life lesson to be able to say and to pass along at some point i was doing it i don't know i want to say in kansas i'm not sure where i was and was in the supermarket a couple of days later and a gal came up to me and 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 she said oh i i saw the play and i lost my husband three weeks ago and now i know i'm not crazy i mean that's why we do it right uh that was a, a wonderful um, sort of proof of the pudding moment, you know, and a, and a kudos to Joan um, that she had, you know, well, I felt so lucky to be a conduit for Joan's wisdom to this woman in her, in a real hour of, of need. And the theater can do that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was, uh, it was daunting. And the other thing is that it's an hour and 35 minutes when I when I do it, my son's idea of a nightmare mother talking nonstop. But I mean, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night. And the fact that your brain can wrap itself around these words um, is another testament to to Miss Didion because it's so well written and the ideas falling one after another support support each other, you know, as the journey continues. So anyway, it was a a privilege and an education. And you mentioned someone coming up to you in a supermarket and recognizing you. Does that happen a lot, you know, as far as you work on happy days too? Well, it does, but also it, it doesn't. I mean, one time I was on a plane, but television, you know, you've been in people's living room in my case for a long time. I never had like Patrick, this, you know, extraordinary thing happened called Dallas. And so he is very, very recognizable. I'm more like people, I mean, sure. Sometimes they know, you know, Matlock, happy days, whatever, but but a lot of the times too, it's like, gosh, didn't we go to high school together or you know, the people think they, they know you when they don't or yet, or, you know, we haven't had a chance to meet yet. <laughs> I was getting off a plane standing in the aisle as one does. And there was a guy in front of me and some people behind me and we're just waiting our turn to exit the plane. And this guy turned around to me with a wink and a nod. And he said, Seattle, babe, <laughs> like what? No, he was sort of puzzled. And we inched forward and he turned, we said, Oh, no, Chicago, baby. And, you know, the intimation was that we'd had, you know, a one night stand in one of these <laughs> cities. And finally, mercifully, the woman behind me said, she's an actress, asshole, or whatever. Sorry, I don't know if I could do that with you. But, <laughs> I mean, I was just, I was flummoxed. I didn't know you know, how to help this guy out of the hole he continued to dig for himself. So yeah, sometimes you get recognized and then sometimes you have the guy, you know, like that in front of you. Do you realize at the time that it's such an iconic show that you're a part of, you're, you know, an iconic team, you know, to use a little sports parallel, like you mentioned earlier? Uh, uh, No, I think, you know, as an actress, you just, I'm just so grateful to have the, have the gig. Now, when I went, because I joined the office so, so far into its magnificent success, I was aware 
of that. But, you know, once you you cross that threshold of being on the set, then you're just in it and and trying to do the best work you can. And um, and what a great group. I mean, you know, that was interesting because I, I guess I came in when they were I'm not sure this might not be right, but I'm going to say four years old. So at that point, they had won so many awards and they'd been on the cover of every possible magazine and, you know, all of that. They really could have just shown up and phoned it in, but it wasn't so. Everybody turned up to that set like it was their first day of work. And I I have to think that that starts, you know, largely with Steve Carell. He's just a prince of a human being and was enthusiastic and excited about the work and and really worked hard, you know, and it was a, they had the weave between all of them, the writers and the actors was so strong and, and well-tended, a well-tended garden. So that was just fun to, to go in and, and witness that. It felt very much like the atmosphere that was on the set at Happy Days, always. Really strong family, really strong ties and enduring lifelong friendships have come out of that. Now, who have you stayed close with in the office cast? Um, uh, with Kate and, um, but happy days more like, you know, Donnie most and Anson. I mean, cause we were all babies when we started it. Um, those, you know, we've been witness to so many stages in each other's life, but, but Kate Flannery, um, who's such a brilliant comedian and, uh, yeah. Take me through shooting the birthday lunch. Painful, painful because, you know, I mean, as, as a woman, uh, clearly a vanity, it was, it was like, oh my gosh, it was just, it was hard. And, uh, um, but, but fun. I mean, Jenna and John and Steve, you know, they're, they're such mega talents. And so, um, you know, just to be at the table in this case, literally, uh, was fun. And the office was interesting because they all, I had assumed before going to work there that a lot of it was improv and it is, but, but mostly it isn't. Um, so that we always shot exactly what was scripted. And sometimes, uh, if there was time, um, then the director would say, oh, just, you know, just go for it. And so then we would carry on and, and do a little bit of improv, um, which was fun. I don't, I think maybe a little bit of the improv got used in that uh, in the final product. I'm, I am not sure. But again, a testament to the actors that they made it look so uh, as if so much of it was was improvised. But no, the writers had a very, very firm grip on the work that was done. John fascinates me. I, this was before his, you know, the next chapter of his huge career uh, where he's done all the wonderful feature film work. And I, he's like Harrison Ford and Henry Fonda. If, if the, those two great talents had had a baby, it would have been John. I just, I, I'm just awed by him. And it was exciting to know someone that young in their career, because then, you know, it's, all ahead of them and I of him. And it, it's, it's really fun to witness from a great distance, his continuing successes. 
That's I mean, such, his continuing success, I should say. Forgive me. It really was such a likable cast, you know, on all fronts. And of course, you mm-hmm. know, your character really did have some great moments. I know you appeared in close to a dozen episodes and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, 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 that little stretch there, especially in season six meant quite a bit to me too. It was just so much fun to watch the whole mm-hmm. dynamic of Michael dating Tam's mom. And that was honestly amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. On a lighter note, uh, Linda, we do a little segment here on the show called Fastball Derby. And, you know, using our sports backdrop here, I want you to picture yourself in the batter's box, okay? Okay. And I'm a Raldis Chapman, the Yankees flame-throwing all-star closer. He throws 105 miles an hour, major league record. Just have to throw that out there. And uh, you got to think quick here because, you know, he's throwing so fast. I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind. How does that sound? I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. <laughs> But go for it. All right. Favorite New York City meal? Um, Carnegie Deli cheesecake. Carnegie Deli, what happened? Yeah. Or Jamie's at the Russian Tea Room. I don't know. It's a toss up. You had me at Carnegie. Now you're getting. Now you've got me missing Roxy. You've got me mixed. Uh, missing Stage Deli. All the old spots are going away. Don't now. Katz's is the last one standing. So I could always. Uh, I always love the desserts there, and also you know after a nice pastrami sandwich, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can feel the heartburn. <laughs> team Derek Jeter or Team Alex Rodriguez? Oh, Jeter. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but yeah, Jeter. Yeah. All-time favorite film? Favorite film? Um, Okay, I don't know favorite, but one that totally changed my mind about the death penalty was Dead Man Walking. I was in favor of the death penalty, and I saw that film and came out adamantly against it. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. I haven't seen that one. I'll have to check that out. Uh, Sean Penn and, uh, oh gosh, beautiful actress. Yikes. Anyway, yeah, Dead Man Walking. <laughs> Fact about Linda Pearl that would surprise people the most. Oh, oh gee whiz. Uh, okay. Well, this is kind of a, a downer. Uh, this is a real downer. I had six miscarriages <laughs> and, um, and I say that because, uh, well, it happened, but, um, women I find don't talk about the fact that they had miscarriages. It's very, very common. And, uh, but I, uh, I kept going and, um, and have my, have my, my beautiful son. So, uh, it was, uh, you know, 
it was an ordeal. It was an effort. But um, anyway, uh, I was very lucky that persistence persistence won the day. And that, so I just say that to the to the young women out there. Uh, don't give up hope and, uh, you know, keep going because you'll have your baby. <laughs> Most embarrassing on set or on stage moment? Oh, geez. Okay. Quick change. Um, quick change. Uh, in actually, this happened twice. But uh, so, which one is the better, Romeo and Juliet? And we, you know, it's the lark scene, and I go behind the curtain to put on uh, my dress. I'm Starkers, and I leave the bed shrouded in a sheet and go behind the curtain to step into my dress. So that happened, you know, you drop the sheet, you step into your dress and you pull the dress up. Well, as I've dropped the sheet and I'm bent over derriere, sadly, to the audience, I hear this whoosh. And what it was, was the curtain falling down. The curtain fell down. So now I am buck ass naked. And I hear a gasp from the audience that almost sucked me off the stage into the front row. They felt so badly for me because clearly it was an accident. It was not meant to happen. And I, we lost the play from that moment because they felt so badly for me. It, it paled in comparison to the fact that her love of her life was dead and now she, excuse me, now she kills herself. So, um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, like, what do you do? You just got to keep going moment. And, uh, I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. 180 now proudest moment of your career. Of my career. Oh, well, well, I don't know. Proudest, happiest moment. You know, sometimes life happens in a, in a postcard. So when I was doing Tom Sawyer um, on Broadway at the Minskoff and we're doing the big dance number and Paul Gimignani is conducting in the pit, magnificent Paul Gimignani. And um, I'm dancing with John Dossett, who's just one of the most gorgeous human beings ever. And this is a matinee and seated on a little stool next to Paul uh, was my son who was four or five at the time. And I, somewhere coming out of a pirouette, I'd see my son sort of bored out of his mind sitting on the stool, but it was one of those split seconds in life where so many of the good things in your life come together. People I loved on a project I love in this magnificent theater. And, and there was a glimpse of, of my son and I just was so uh, happy and, and grateful. And uh, it was just one of those moments. Lastly, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you. Um. So um, I'm really lucky that I've had a lot of terrific advice from uh, people young and old. Um, but there was a moment, I'm sorry, this will be awfully name-droppy, but there was a moment, it was sort of one of those, 
you know, passages in life that was just awful. And, uh, but I thought I, it was a Christmas party at Rosemary Clooney's house and Rosemary was a friend. And um, I thought, you know, I'd put on my red Christmassy dress and you know, managed to get some mascara on and went to the party. And, and I thought I was putting on a really good front, you know, and uh, I found my bootsteps that day and it's going to go forward. And I passed Rosemary. She was, she liked to sit in a chair in her living room underneath a, a beautiful portrait of, uh, of Jose Ferrer. And um, she grabbed me by the hand as I was walking past and she looked through me as only she could do. And in that moment, I just felt like I was standing there with no clothes on. She saw everything raw inside. And she said, keep singing, baby. The music will never let you down. And I knew in the moment that it meant, uh, it meant a lot, you know. But it's one of those phrases that has come back to me so many times. And it's, it's not just keep singing, you know, it's keep going, take the next step, take the next breath, change the energy, change the character, um, find your resilience and, uh, and life will realign and the forces will move you forward again. And so anyway, so that, that was, yeah, a very powerful piece of advice that I've come back to um, many times. Well, it served you really well, Linda, and this was such an <laughs> honor. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Stay safe. You as well. And uh, to all the folks at home, thank you so much for listening. This is Al Malafrante signing off for Break a Bat and the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.